we are now halfway through the first month of the year, and all of the usual markings of the season are present at this time. This January 19th, 2024 edition of Charlottesville Community Engagement captures at least one of them, including an observation that this is perhaps one of the very first installments written and voiced while there is snow on the ground in a week with two storms, and it's snowing right now, and I'm Sean Tubbs, wondering if the statute of limitations of one particular holiday song can be extended a little longer. But on today's show, a snapshot of who's who in the race to be the next representative in Virginia's 5th Congressional District, a brief look at the beginning of Greene County's first Board of Supervisors meeting of the year with Mary Durer being elected as chair, and a group of property owners in Charlottesville have filed a lawsuit seeking to overturn the city's new zoning code. In today's first subscriber-supported shout-out, nearly six and a half years have passed since white supremacists descended on Charlottesville for the Unite the Right rally, which resulted in a violent clash and many lawsuits. On January 23rd, the Albemarle Charlottesville Historical Society will host University of Virginia School of Law professor Raisa Goloboff, and she will discuss the legal history of what transpired in the events leading up to the deadly August 12th incident and legal efforts to keep participants from ever coming back. Goloboff was the first female dean of the School of Law and is a renowned legal historian whose scholarship and teaching focuses on American constitutional and civil rights law. Her talk is part of the Historical Society's annual meeting, which begins at 5.30 p.m. at the Center at Belvedere on January 23rd. You don't have to be a member to attend the reception, but consider joining to help support the mission of the ACHS. You can rendezvous si vous play at the Center at Belvedere's website at thecenterseville.org. There are five months left until the date scheduled for Democrats and Republicans to hold primaries to select their nominees for the United States House of Representatives and the U.S. Senate. As of today, the Federal Election Commission lists six candidates whose campaigns have filed paperwork for a run in 2024. Republican incumbent Bob Good faces a challenge within his own party from Senator John McGuire, who was only recently elected to represent Virginia's 10th Senate District. McGuire is challenging Good because of the latter's lack of support for former President Donald Trump. So far, McGuire has not reported any campaign finance information to the Federal Election Commission. Good last filed at the end of September and reported total receipts of $342,870.32 in contributions through the first nine months of 2023. The Good campaign spent $188,613.01 during that amount of time. The FEC also lists a third Republican in the race. Gary Barve amended his statement of candidacy on May 23, 2023, and put a post office box in Lynchburg as the campaign address. In the justification for that amendment, he stated that he was no longer a candidate for the United States Senate in Virginia in the 2024 election. 
The last report available for this campaign is through July 13, 2023. The campaign reported a total of $9,516.64 in receipts and disbursements of $9,531.64. There is another person named Gary Barve who is running for Florida's House District 23. They're the same person? I gotta move on. Three Democrats have filed to run for the nomination in Virginia's 5th District, and one of them will have a press conference in Amherst on January 23rd. That person is Gloria Witt of Amherst. Her LinkedIn profile describes her as an executive coach and a member of the board of directors of the Lynchburg Regional Alliance. According to the FEC, Witt's campaign raised $1,800 and spent $241 through December 21st, 2023. The two other candidates who have filed are Paul Riley of Crozet and Gary Terry of Danville, and the FEC doesn't show any campaign finance information yet. Riley's campaign website says he works for a defense contractor. Terry is the CEO of the Boys and Girls Club of the Danville area, according to his LinkedIn profile. That's a position he's held since September of 2021. Prior to that, he held similar positions for the YMCA in Ohio. At their first meeting of 2024, the five-member Board of Supervisors in Greene County selected Marie C. Durer to serve as chair and Davis Lamb as vice chair. The two have the most recent seniority as the three other members of the board have just joined. Here is Durer. First, I want to welcome our new board members. We, we started tonight as official business, Mr. McGowan and Mr. Goolsby and Mr. Lamb. Even though he's been with us before, I want to welcome you as well as back to our board. Well, thank you. Thank you. Durr was nominated by Steve Catalano, who was appointed to fill a vacancy in the Stannardsville district last November following the resignation of former supervisor Abby Heflin. Durer herself was first elected to the Midway District in 2017, when she defeated incumbent Jim Friedel, 867 votes to 858 votes. Friedel is now the county's planning director and zoning administrator. Both Lamb and Catalano received nominations for vice chair, but Lamb was selected for that position. As soon as the vote was taken, supervisors went into executive session to discuss personnel matters, the acquisition of real property for a public purpose, consultation over legal matters, as well as current lawsuits. During matters from the public, the administrator of the Virginia Department of Transportation's Culpeper District appeared to ask to be put on a future board agenda to discuss the recent approval of the 500-unit Blue Meadows development. Part of that development is within the town of Stannardsville, and the other is in Greene County. And VDOT is concerned about a 3-2 vote last year to not request a third entrance to the new community. Here is Daryl Byers. The development would generate approximately 4,670 additional vehicle trips to and from the development onto the adjacent street network. That number of additional vehicles would create significant suggestion and delays at the entrances and on U.S. 33 business if the development has only two access points. Byers said VDOT would support a third entrance onto the limited access section of US 33. The next four speakers called for additional scrutiny on the project to build a new reservoir at White Run. 
The last board got an update on water supply planning efforts on September 26th and learned construction could cost as much as $100 million. Jennifer Lewis Fowler spoke as a citizen and not as Greene County's registrar. How much money has been spent to date? And how much more is approved? Are there outstanding invoices? Green County citizens deserve accountability and transparency for all its endeavors. If the county continues to move forward with the reservoir project, there are many concerns from our neighborhood standpoint, which we will be raising at future meetings. Later in the meeting, supervisors adopted their bylaws after a discussion about changing the public comment section to provide an opportunity for questions asked to be answered at the meeting. There also will be a change to allow speakers representing a group to have additional time yielded to them so they can make a presentation longer than three minutes. County Administrator Kathy Shafrick suggested returning to this vote at the next meeting with more precise language. I mean, one possibility is you all could not vote on this tonight and redline it, and and that way the verbiage is, is what you intended to be. Next, supervisors were assigned to various boards and committees. Monroe District Supervisor Tim Goolsby will be the board's representative to the Thomas Jefferson Planning District Commission. Goolsby was elected as a write-in candidate with 159 votes. He'll also sit on the Planning Commission. Francis McGowan was elected in November to the at-large district with just under two-thirds of the vote. He will be the Board of Supervisors liaison to the school board. The three new members joined the board after the county created its own water and sewer department after leaving the Rapidan Service Authority. Here is a section of the website for the new department. Since taking over from RSA, we have encountered some significant and unexpected challenges. We were not able to obtain any customer data until transition, which meant we were unable to upload data, configure the billing system, or test in advance. Those challenges involved overcharging customers and having to make adjustments. Shafrick said the board would soon receive a briefing on what happened. There will be at the next board meeting on um, January 23rd a presentation from the Water and Sewer Department specifically around the billing. Um, so that's coming. Supervisor Catalano had several items he wanted to talk to the board about and began with a call to create one work group to review the county's land use taxation policies and another to review business use and personal property taxes. He wants those to have met by the time the budget review begins. Catalano and Goolsby will be on the group to review business taxes, and Lamb and McGowan will review land use taxation. After a motion to formalize those ad hoc groups passed, Catalano also requested a work session. I would request that the um, board schedule a work workshop with staff regarding the formulation of the fiscal year 24 and 25 budget. Um, I'd like to make sure that the board and staff are lockstep in kind of the general thought process of the budget for next year and um, also that <clears throat> perhaps the board takes a little bit more of a front role in formulating that budget. Catalano said he wants the board to interview staff about their requests for the next fiscal year. A meeting date was not scheduled at the time of the end of the meeting. Catalano also wants full board review of every decision to be made about the water impoundment project. Lots of changes in green, and that's what Charlottesville Community Engagement will keep an eye on.
You're listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement, and in today's second subscriber-supported shout-out, Charlottesville Community Bikes wants you to join them for their annual Valentine's Day fundraiser, Bake and Bike. On Wednesday, February 14th, costumed bike couriers will deliver pre-ordered bags of scones all across Charlottesville. Bags will include six scones, chocolate chip and cranberry, baked and packaged by Sweet Holly's Desserts, and you can add a personalized note for the recipient. Deliveries will be made from 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. If you live outside their delivery area, you can also pre-order scones and pick them up at Community Bikes on Wednesday, February 14th. They are limited to 160 bags of scones, so order as soon as you can. Visit charlottesvillecommunitybikes.org to learn more. One big story today, and this has actually already gone out. This went out on the Information Charlottesville site because I was on a train Wednesday, and it's really difficult to make the podcast part happen while you're on the rails. A group of Charlottesville property owners has filed suit against the city of Charlottesville for the December 18th, 2023 adoption of a new zoning code intended to increase development rights on almost every parcel of land. For the purposes of the suit, NZO stands for New Zoning Code. Here is a section from the pleading's introduction. The NZO empowers developers to tear down existing houses and replace them by right, with three dwelling units per lot in the residential A zoning district, six dwelling units per lot in the residential B district, and eight dwelling units per lot in the residential C district. The plaintiffs argue that this could create as many as 62,000 additional housing units and estimate that could bring in another 150,000 residents. They claim the city was required by Virginia Code to make preparations. Here's another section from that pleading. Despite advocating for this enormous increase in density, City Council failed to conduct any studies about the impact of the NZO on the city's transportation, schools, water, sewer, public services or infrastructure, among other things. Also named in the request for declaratory judgment are the City Council and the Charlottesville Planning Commission. The plaintiffs argue that the city did not follow Virginia code when adopting the new ordinance, citing the 1997 Virginia Supreme Court ruling in Town of Jonesville versus Powell Valley Village. Much of the pleading rests on an argument that the city failed to follow state code to coordinate state and local planning on transportation improvements. The first claim in the lawsuit is that the zoning code is invalid because the comprehensive plan that it implements is also claimed to be invalid. However, there has been no ruling yet in the second of two lawsuits filed that seek a ruling on that argument. In August 2022, Circuit Court Judge Claude Worrell dismissed three out of four counts in the first lawsuit filed. The one that remained was that counsel failed to provide sufficient notice. The city's response was to amend and re-adopt the plan on January 17, 2023. Attorney Michael Durdane filed a second suit and served council and city officials with it on February 13, 2023. By that time, former city attorney Lisa Robertson had left the city. In this latest filing against the Development Code, Durdane is joined by fellow counsel Mark Peretz. 
They argue the court has the power to make a ruling on the validity of the comprehensive plan. City Council failed to give reasonable consideration to the impact of the NZO on traffic and road congestion, necessary water and sanitary sewer infrastructure, and adequate schools and recreation areas to serve the significant increase in population density as required by Virginia Code Section 15.2-2283 and Section 15.2-2284. The plaintiffs are G. Edward White, Susan D. White, Roy Van Dorn, Christy Van Dorn, Jenny Clay, Michael Bevier, Lillian Bevier, and two trustees of the Thomas J. Hill Trust. Only one opponent of the development code opted to run for city council in 2023 to overturn the new zoning ordinance through legislative means. Former city councilor Bob Fenwick placed fifth in the Democratic primary on June 20, 2023. The Whites claim legal standing because they will have higher real property tax assessments based on their ability to build more units should they choose. The Van Dorns make the claim that they deliberately wanted to live in a low-density neighborhood, and they object to now being in a residential C neighborhood. The two Hill trustees, the Beviers and Clay, make similar arguments. Here's paragraph 21 of the pleading. Residents who wish to remain in lower-density areas are being harmed and will continue to be harmed by increased property taxes, noise, and impact on light and quiet enjoyment. And here is section 22. Residents are being harmed and will continue to be harmed by City Council's failure to consider necessary infrastructure improvements to address the increased density due to the NZO. Paragraph 23 argues the plaintiffs will suffer due to the lack of off-street parking requirements. Paragraph 26 cites a property listing on Chesapeake Avenue as evidence that the new ordinance will increase property rights. This paragraph does not make note that 1316 Chesapeake Street had been designated as Residential B for most of the new code's development, but was reduced to Residential A in a last-minute change. The transportation argument is based on section 15.2-2222.1 of the Code of Virginia, as well as 24VAC30-155-30 of the Administrative Code. Here is a very long section from the former. Prior to any adoption of any comprehensive plan pursuant to section 15.2-2223, any part of a comprehensive plan to 15.2-2228, or any amendment to any comprehensive plan as described in 15.2-2229, the locality shall submit such plan or amendment to the Department of Transportation for review and comment if the plan or amendment will substantially affect transportation on state-controlled highways, as defined by regulations promulgated by the department. The department's comments on the proposed plan or amendment shall relate to plans and capacities for construction of transportation facilities affected by the proposal. And here is a section from 24VAC 30-155-30. The comprehensive plan or comprehensive plan amendment package shall be submitted to VDOT if it is reasonably anticipated to substantially affect transportation on state-controlled highways. Substantially affect for the purposes of comprehensive plans includes substantial changes or impacts to the existing transportation network. The city failed to do either of these things, reads paragraph 39 of the pleading. 
The following paragraphs argue that the density increase expected by the additional development rights was not communicated to VDOT. Communications between city and VDOT officials are included as exhibits in the pleading. These include a June 27, 2022 email from Neighborhood Development Services Director James Fries to Mary Summers Whittle. He said that a traffic engineering study is unwarranted for a plan and zoning that speak to gradual change over a long period of time. Fries said that the city will use growth projections based on a range of factors to make decisions about infrastructure. Exhibit E is a November 5, 2021 letter from Chuck Proctor, the Culpeper District Planning Manager, signing off on the comprehensive plan that council would initially adopt on November 15, 2021. Proctor cited several existing plans and planning frameworks as being sufficient. He wrote that the resulting comprehensive plan integrates all of the requirements of the Code of Virginia and includes many of the mobility ideas available and envisioned for the future. Should be noted that the Virginia Department of Transportation is not named as a defendant in this case. The next section of the pleading points out that there are no residential density limits in commercial mixed-use districts. Here is paragraph 57. Despite this massive increase in density, City Council failed to commission appropriate studies about the impact of the NZO on stormwater management, water, sanitary sewer, parking, traffic, transportation, or recreational resources. In all, there are four counts in the request for declaratory judgment. City officials had no comment and said City Attorney Jacob Stroman is currently out of town. The city has 21 days after the date of the filing to respond, and I'll be bringing you that information in a future edition of Charlottesville Community Engagement. And thus ends the third work week of the year with only two editions of the newsletter and podcast published. This should have come out yesterday, but sometimes I decide to take some time off as I did yesterday. I try to update people on where I am in the production schedule on the Substack Notes page, link in the newsletter. There are so many stories to get to, and I'm looking forward to an extended period where I'm not traveling so I can devote my energies to producing this work. There are hundreds of you helping to pay for my time, and I am grateful for all of the new subscribers. I aim to stick around for as long as possible as I can and continuing to improve this experimental endeavor. Ting wants me to stick around too. And we have a unique sponsorship where they will match your initial subscription, whether that's at the $5 a month, $50 a year, or $200 a year level. Apparently, people can contribute more than that. So I'm grateful for any amount. Let's keep this thing going. Thank you very much. On to 627!